0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rough Riders Rescue Tales Podcast. My name is Christian Meyer, founder and president of Rough Riders, Saving Dogs on Death Row. Each week we'll feature a new tale of rescue, interviews with amazing people who affect the rescue community, and feature a local dog looking for their forever home in our Unadoptable segment. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Rough Riders Rescue Tales Podcast. We're often asked how we fund the transports and adoption marketing efforts we do to keep this organization moving forward. And really, the quick answer is you. We rely primarily on public donations from our wonderful followers. And after overwhelming feedback, we've launched the incredible Hashtag Rescue Lives Matter membership program. This monthly tiered membership program is an amazing way for the public to help save the lives of kill shelter dogs while receiving some valuable perks in return, and it's designed to fit the budget of anyone looking to make a difference in the life of a dog in need. These perks include access to a members-only online community board where you can interact with fellow members, an exclusive hashtag Rescue Lives Matter t-shirt, Money-saving discounts at local restaurants, retailers, and service providers by simply showing them your member ID card and much more. Now, one of the amazing perks that we're really excited about is our monthly limited edition t-shirts, each one designed by a different local artist and only available for 30 days. Once they're gone, they're gone. To learn more about the Hashtag Rescue Lives Matter membership program or to join this amazing club today, simply visit bit.ly.com forward slash rescue lives matter that's bit.ly forward slash rescue lives matter or visit our website at roughriders.org and select hashtag rlm members from the menu this week's story of rescue is bella bella is a spanish greyhound or galgo espanol Brought to the U.S. from Spain in 2014 by volunteers who work with the rescue organization Sight Hound Underground. After a lengthy vetting process involving multiple interviews and verification of references, she was entrusted to my husband, Reno Marriage and Family Counselor Stephen Ng. Steve and I, with our rescued miniature pincher bullet, drove through a December snowstorm to Sacramento Airport to bring her home. 50,000 Spanish greyhounds are killed every year in Spain. When the hunting season is over, lots of owners don't want to continue paying for their hounds' food. Bella was emancipated when she was rescued, probably the result of the common belief that hungry hounds made better hunters. Still skinny as all get out, Bella is absolutely aglow with beauty compared to the frail, dull-coated survivor who stepped out of her crate upon arrival. I can still see her in my mind's eye emerging from her crate a bit wobbly on a broken leg that had never seen a vet's care now although not as fast as an english greyhound bella can run for hours something the english sprinters can't do today bella thrives in her american home she is a meditation on the beauty of flat muscles conjoined by sinew to long bones all held together by skin so lacking in flesh it is translucent in the sun. She goes to work every day with Steve as a therapy dog. Together they do a lot of good work, especially with men, one of Bella's former trigger groups that used to give her the shakes. The therapy she gives has been given back to her a hundredfold. She still has her hunter instincts, but now she is known by her family, not for her timidity or her savage lethality to varmints, but for her insistence on cuddling with her pack every night. This rescue tale was sponsored by Forever USA. One of the most moving experiences we've ever had as dog owners was sharing Tahoe's rescue story with our friends over at Forever USA. Currently located in Reno and Sacramento, Forever USA is a unique photography concept capturing beautiful moments with fur families and their rescue dogs and sharing inspiring stories of how their dogs in turn rescued them. The best part is, for every photography session booked and completed, Forever USA will donate $100 to the rescue organization of your choice. That's right you can choose Rough Riders as the recipient of a generous $100 donation when you take part in the Forever Photography experience. In addition to having the option to purchase wall art, prints, and display boxes commemorating the bond you have with your rescue pet, your rescue story and photographs have the opportunity to be featured in Forever's annual coffee table book. Tahoe even made this year's back cover and were thrilled with the way his story was represented. To learn more or book your own forever photography experience, visit roughriders.org forward slash forever dash USA. That's forward slash F-U-R-E-V-E-R dash USA. Joining me today is Zach Skow, whose inspirational journey led to the founding of Marley's Mutts and earned him a role as a jockey brand spokesperson. Welcome to the show, Zach. Thank you, sir. Yeah, we appreciate you having uh, you on the show. Uh, We're going to jump around uh, timeline-wise on the questions a little bit, but uh, basically I just wanted to start it out by uh, talking about Marley's Mutts as it exists now and uh, a little bit about the community it serves, uh, namely Kern County.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I'm I'm sitting at our ranch, which has been the culmination of, of 10 years of this work, really 15 years of this work, but the last 10 years kind of working towards getting this facility so for the first time in a long time you know for the last year we've actually had a place to call our own it's a 20 acre ranch here in Tehachapi California which is in eastern Kern County uh, just about two hours north of Los Angeles and um, yeah we have a variety of different animals up here we have a bunch of handicapped or handicapable animals we have um some of our dogs that have had a tougher time in foster some of our behavioral case dogs, some of our case dogs, um, we'll be moving our rescue horses here shortly, our rescue pig. Um, so we're really just, our, our focus is so broad I and mean, we do a ton of stuff, but where I am currently right now is at our ranch, which we're really turning into hoping to turn into an, an animal community center where we use really the, the animal human bond and, and just, um, uh, see where it takes us. Bring as many people here as possible to get involved with the, the, the rescue life, being a part of something greater than yourself and, and, um, and what it is to be to be plugged into these animals that we're, that we're um, kind of sacrificing for.
0: And now Kern County, as I understand it, is one of the higher uh, euthanasia rate counties, uh, not only in California, but uh, possibly across the country. Uh, what are you guys doing to, to sort of help that out? Well, we're
1: we're actually located smack dab in between two of the worst areas in California, which is Kern County, which has gotten much, much, much better. And then Los Angeles County, Palmdale, Lancaster area, which is still very much so the Wild West. So, um, you know, when we started in this, I, I started Marley's Mutts in, in early 2009. Our euthanasia rates were closer to 80, 85% out of our three county shelters and about the same for our nine municipal shelters. So it was It was the worst of the worst uh, by a long shot. And then um, through our organization and cooperation with Kern County Animal Services and and a really bold director named Nick Cullen, who decided to throw out the idea of no kill. We've made leaps and bounds of progress between that point in 2009 and 2019, where we're now where the numbers have kind of um, flopped. And and so now we have a closer to an 80 percent live outcome. Than 80% euthanasia. So our county shelter has made terrific, terrific um, progress in the in the last 10 years, mainly focused on spay and neuter programs, which we spearheaded. Um, for the last five years, we've offered up a one-to-one ratio um, subsidy for the county. So for every for every dollar they spend on spay and neuter, we we would match that dollar, and then we carried out their spay and neuter. So we did um, massive mobile spay and neuter. We did massive voucher programs and we essentially dumped a, at least a quarter of a million dollars a year into that program for the last five years. Um, so that was something that really helped us get to this point. Um, we, we're we not continuing with our spay and neuter right now because we just don't have the money. It's not something that we were able to get funding for, and it's not something that on social media uh, is, you know, social, spay and neuter is not a sexy topic. It's right. difficult <laughs> to raise money for. And we weren't you know the the work that we were doing with the with the county was kind of unheralded so we were putting in tremendous amounts of resources of volunteers money employees and it wasn't really being being advertised or circulated as such it was something that we were very passionate about and it was obviously successful but we weren't able to turn it into into um, something sustainable it it was just taking a ton of our revenue that we were hoping to put into rescue and hoping to put into education and therapy and prison programs and it was just very lopsided we couldn't we couldn't continue it especially once we got the ranch
0: yeah and you know as far as a 10-year transformation goes that's amazing uh as you mentioned spay and neuter programs they're not sexy um Unless you're in the animal welfare community, people really aren't talking about it that much, but it is a huge need. So yeah. being so, that you were, yeah, yeah. I was so going to say, say
1: we, we dumped a lot. So transitioning away from spay and neuter, what we decided to put our money into and our efforts into is education, um, therapy, and, and really this ranch. So showcasing the animal-human bond, the human-canine bond, and what that does to kind of um, really let people understand what we're working to save you know these little furry bundles of medicine that we're putting we're, we're putting so many resources and so much effort into these animals because we believe in them we believe in them as sentient beings and we believe in them we believe in their power to heal and to help make life better uh so along with our spay neuter program we we've always been cultivating education and therapy programs and have done so for about the um really since we started uh, almost 10 years ago but we have a an official education program called pledge which teaches empathy and and positive training and leadership uh, in our youth through um, rescue animals. And we have been to to dozens, if not hundreds of schools in our areas and, and do that pretty much every week, going and just sharing the stories of our animals, sharing about empathy, about you know, what we're working on and just getting the idea in their minds early, talking a lot about spay and neuter. Um, that was one of the best ways we advertised spay and neuter back in the day was was through our educational programs because parents were so much more likely to get engaged in spay and neuter if it came if the message came delivered from their children and not somebody, you know, kind of telling them what to do. Um, and then our, our, our therapy program is called Miracle Mutts. and it does essentially the same thing. It's active every week. It's a couple dozen dogs that we have therapy certified through our own in-house program, through our Canine Assisted Activities Director, Liz Cover. And those couple dozen dogs just go out into our community, um, mostly to to organizations and institutions of, um, uh, you know, for autistic kids, for d- the disabled, for veterans, for just a variety of different nonprofit organizations that were developed to help people. Right. So some of them are are retirement homes. Some of them are blood and cancer centers. Some of them are it's a wide variety of places that we visit. And really, the goal is to just take our therapy dogs and spread joy, bring our dogs wherever we can to help make increase the quality of people's lives. Um, We take them to finals at cal state university bakersfield and bakersfield college really any any place we can bring dogs to put a smile on people's face we do it
0: that's amazing yeah we definitely see education as uh sort of the uh, main focus to try and change that perception in the public as far as uh you know what spay and neuter is and and the benefit of rescue animals and you know we uh we definitely um promote, uh, the positive side of rescue as opposed to what you see in like the Sarah McLaughlin commercials and, yeah. and, and the sad and, and all mm-hmm. of that. And so it's nice to see another organization that's uh, sort of taking that same, uh, path as well. Now you right. mentioned that, uh, Marley's mutts is about 10 years old now. Uh, yeah. can you explain a little bit about how Marley mutts, Marley's mutts, Marley's started and uh, how that paralleled uh, with your own past?
1: Well, they're synonymous. You know, you can't have one without the other. Um, I was diagnosed with end-stage liver disease and given less than 90 days to live without a wow. transplant in 2008, the beginning of 2008. And I kind of, uh, you know, I'd been an alcoholic and an addict for a long time. You know, I'd been drinking and using every day for a long time, and it had finally caught up with me. And, um, you know, I'd been involved in animal welfare for you know, four or five years before that. Just just trying to do something that felt redeeming because I was living such a um, such a awful existence, you know, such an mm-hmm. un, unredeemed existence. And um, what happened was I, I, you know, went to the I got sent to the hospital that, you know, I went and saw the doctor and uh, after staying out as long as I could, um, you know, my body really started to fail me. And I, I was admitted to Bakersfield Hospital for a long term stay, which ended up being six weeks. Um in full liver failure. And then, you know, my kidneys started to go and you have pancreas issues and gallbladder and all the rest of it. And um, really the doctors came in and, and told my family, you know, your son needs a liver transplant and he's not going to get one uh, period. And he's not going to survive long enough. He's not healthy enough to take one. And it was, you know, a, as the process wore on, it was, you know, they suggested taking me home on hospice care and Um, really all, all that my family wanted to do was, was try and get me a liver transplant, do anything that they could to get me into a transplant program. Uh, and by the grace of of whomever we, we got an, we basically, we found a loophole (laughs) and we, we, uh, broke out of Bakersfield Memorial hospital, you know, pulled all the plugs out and signed out against doctor's orders and sped down to Cedar Sinai and Beverly Hills, which is where I was born. And we went in through the emergency room. So they cannot turn you away if you are admitted through the emergency room. So we tricked the system. Yeah, we tricked the system and got into the comprehensive transplant program through the back door at the emergency room. So because, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, the goal was to just get me to any of the seven hospitals in California that perform liver transplants and and the Cedars is where I was born and, and where they might be able to save my life. And, so I got admitted into that program and, um uh, I'm still a member of that program. I still go down there every six months for my biannual review, uh, to make sure that things are, are moving forward. And I know this is a really long way to get to the,
0: no, to the no, story, it's...
1: But, but what happened was, is I got, I got sent home from Cedars and they said, look, kid, you got a, you got a chance, um, if you can make it six months, you got a chance at getting a liver, but you need six months sober and you need to just you need to fight. So stay close to an emergency room and um, be prepared for the worst. And and that's what happened is I went home with my dad and, um, you know, I went into opiate withdrawal from the Dilaudid and morphine I was getting in the hospital. You know, I became suicidal. It got much, much. I and mean, you got to remember, too, this is I am gravely ill at this time so right. you know i i weigh nothing i'm 140 i'm 100, 180 pound guy I'm, I'm not heavily built but i'm 5'11 180 pounds at the time i was 140 pounds i was bright yellow i had this nine months pregnant swollen belly with varicose veins like coursing all it all over it you know herniated belly button and i'm getting that my belly's getting drained every couple of days you know it's just pooled with blood and bile you know, I have ammonia on my brain, so I can't really have conversations very well. I'm not that, you know, lucid and, and um, I don't have my balance. I'm a, I'm very thoroughly a danger to myself, myself and others (laughs) at the time. And, um, really what happened was, uh, we kind of had a moment, my dogs and I, um, it had been a month or about a month since I had gotten out of the hospital and I was in just very bad shape. I had drank again uh, when my dad had gone on a trip. I had you know, I was just the the rock bottom of rock bottoms. You know, you 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 would never think that someone in liver failure would ever think of touching alcohol to their lips again, and I did it, and I don't know why. And I and I um, and so, you know, this is pretty graphic, but I had um, as a normal part of my evening routine was I had lost my bowels. I was in bed and I had gone to the bathroom on myself, and so I took off all my clothes and I'm standing in the bathroom with my dogs and I'm looking in the mirror. And, uh, you know, I'm, I did not recognize myself. I, I, that's kind of an understatement. I I looked like, um, I just looked like a dead person, you know, and I didn't recognize who I was. I didn't recognize my eyes. I didn't recognize my, my body. I didn't recognize, I I didn't know, I didn't know what had happened. And I just, I knew I was going to die. You know, I knew that I, I didn't have long to be around and i was just ter- utterly and completely terrified man and i didn't know what to do and i looked down at my dog i'm just weeping at this time at this point right and i'm covered in poo you know of my, <laughs> my own poo and i looked down at my dogs and, and they're looking up at me like you know nothing nothing's wrong i'm the greatest person on planet earth like tomorrow's going to be the best day ever and they're wiggling their butts like um you know, what do you want to do? do? you want to go out for a walk? Do you want to go cuddle in bed and watch Step Boy? What do you want to do? You know, what like right. um,
0: no judgment,
1: like none whatsoever. And like I was just, they just continued to see who I was. You know, they knew that Dad was in there, and they knew that Dad was struggling, but it wasn't that big of a deal, and anything could be could be persevered through. And so, um, you know, the next day we we really started to kind of put put an effort towards living, which was just walking, just taking my dogs out in the mountains. I was living at my dad's house at the time and and just walking. So I started journaling, you know, and going to meetings all the time and and just walking with my dogs, man, just trying to put one foot in front of the other and work off all of this, these liters and liters of blood and bile that had accumulated in me and try to get the ammonia off my brain. And there was all this, in order to get better, I had all these things I needed to do. And I, I could barely live, much less, try to you know proactively survive and fight this you know and and my dogs just really gave me the cor- courage to try and fight to try to do it for them and and to do it and and to give it a shot and that's all we really did we just started simple and, and just started walking just one foot in front of the other trying to take in the majesty of my surroundings and trying to breathe and and just look around you know and oddly enough there was this about a weekend we had gotten the farthest i'd ever gotten on that walk which was up this big hill And right at the top of the hill i get up to the top i'm kind of out of breath and i see this gu- this shadow coming towards me the sun is it's really early in the morning it's like 6 a.m mm-hmm. the sun's rising behind him and I, at first i thought it was a bear or something I mean, we're in the mountains and i'm it's always a little nervous about right. <laughs> you know mountain lions and bears and and uh, sure enough it's this little old man he's just got like a huge parka on and He's walking towards me, and and um he's just by himself. It's this little like eighty year old guy, and I go, who is this guy? How come I've never seen him? You know, and and he doesn't say anything about me. He doesn't say anything about how sick I look. And every conversation up to that had been people either blatantly ignoring how ill I was, or just being obsessed with how ill I
0: was, like feeling sorry feeling sorry for me. One extreme or the other, right?
1: Yeah, and this guy, um, his name was we called him Wen. His name was Wendell, and um he had been caring for his wife who was dying of cancer for the previous three years. And they'd done that walk every single day for 25 years since they first moved to bear Valley. And, um, I'd never met him cause I didn't, you know, he'd been taking care of her since before I moved there. Uh, and this was the first time he was on that walk since she died. And, um, and he didn't feel sorry for himself and he wasn't crying and he wasn't, you know, he, here, he, here he was having lost the thing that was most important to him. Right. And, uh, and he, and he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't, he, he was sad, you know, but he wasn't going to let him get it. He wasn't going to let it get him down. And, right. um, and he wasn't going to let me, you know, get in my own way and, uh, try to feel tragically sorry for myself. And, uh, and that made a big difference. So we started doing that walk together, you know, every couple of days he would show up and, and it was, uh, it was really great, man. And, and he kind of led the way he ended up. Um, he ended up getting a, uh buying a motor home and selling uh door to door institution to institution um senior vitamins to old people homes so <laughs> no he hit kidding. the road at, at eighty one years old he hit the road selling vitamins to old to elderly homes and he ended up finding a finding another wife and he married her and they they were married i think for four years before he passed somewhat recently and uh he Wendell that story of Wendell is always a really um a really wonderful reminder about, you know, to not feel sorry for yourself and to just put one foot in front of the other and get after it.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's amazing. You know, obviously when you're thinking about yourself, you know, you look from the outside in and there's other people that are dealing with issues and, and, and shit that, uh, you know, as soon as you recognize that you realize that, you know, you may not, your life may not be so bad that it's not worth moving on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And just some of the tendencies that I developed about, you know, that, that did not give me strength, that weren't serving me well, you know, tendencies and patterns that weren't serving me, you know, a tendency to feel sorry for myself instead of just getting after it and trying to dig deep. And, um, and he really, really helped me with that. And, and Marley's much was just born out of that. You know, as I, as I kept walking, I started to get better and better. And all I did was, was, you know take my dogs out and go to meetings and i started to get back with the humane society and i had started their large dog foster program in 2003 or 2004 and um so started to get back into that ironically enough the first dog i fostered his name was zach and oh, no uh, everyone everyone thought i named the dog after me i was like what kind of egotistical prick do you think i, am? <laughs> <laughs> I can't come up with any other names Let's just name him after myself right <laughs> zach jr uh And so it just kind of happened that way that we started bringing dogs in to join in on the walks and um, started to have success getting them adopted and started to make my posters. And this is before social media or before social media was very impactful. You know, and this is in 2008, 2009, Mm -hmm. and just really had fun with it, put my put my life and my focus into that. So I would I would kind of beg a panhandle for spay and neuter money at. Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous meetings, you know, just, just talk with my people and let them know what I was getting involved in. And if they wanted to, to give me a couple bucks, they could. And if, if not, no big deal. And, and that community really built me up and I started putting my posters up all over town and going to the coffee shop and the ice cream shop and the, and the library and the town hall and just putting flyers up everywhere for the dogs that I had up for adoption through the humane society. Um, and we just had all kinds of success, you know, and I had some fun doing it. I was taking really good pictures and I was, um, adding more, more and more and more dogs. And I had, um, kind of expanded into my dad's garage. I was staying in the the area, like the building above my dad's garage, like a, it was like a little apartment and, um, you know, we built, I built a fenced in area and, and I just kept getting better physically at the same time. You know, as I started working with dogs, my, my blood test started to, to get better, and I started my symptoms started to um, diminish and my belly button unherniated and um, I no longer was you know leaking blood from my mouth or my my rear end, and I just kept getting better and you know, all these things that were not supposed to happen you know I was supposed to get a liver transplant at six if I could survive six months, I was going to get a liver transplant, and that was the only course of action that was the only only bit of hope and
0: that was the light at the end of the tunnel
1: and that yeah and that wasn't happening so by the time i got six months sober by the time i qualified for a liver transplant dr tram tran who's my the head of transplant at cedars basically said we don't know what you what what has happened here but whatever you're doing keep doing it because you you are your liver is regenerating your cirrhosis seems to be receding which is not something we see and um and you don't need a liver transplant right now um so let's just keep going and um that's just the way it's been ever since you know so so if you graph my my kind of wellness on a chart you know it would just be an upward trend you know ever ever since then and um i no longer have cirrhosis of the liver if if you get a fibrosis fibroscan which is like a it shoots a sonic wave into your liver to kind of judge the consistency of your liver Mm -hmm. and if the number comes back 12 or above you have cirrhosis if it comes back 12 or below and it comes back below 12 you don't have cirrhosis and you know my last my last one was 6.5 so i don't have cirrhosis anymore you know 10 years of taking care of myself and not drinking and really eating well and and exercising and um it's just everything about my wellness has changed you know um, that doesn't say my mental wellness, considering being, <laughs> being involved in rescue for 15 years is enough to drive anyone insane. Right. But, um, you know, physically I'm doing well.
0: Still, that's amazing. I mean, it's a, a testament to what the human body can do if you take care of it and really sort of change your focus into, uh, you know, taking better care of yourself. Um, and then obviously I can't even imagine what you were going through mentally, uh, not only going through that, but obviously being in animal welfare. Um, you know, it definitely has its highs and lows. And so, yeah. um, you know, keeping things straight mentally is, is definitely something that, uh, you'd have to add on top of that.
1: Yeah, definitely a challenge. You know, I think that's what we do in this line of work is we expect, you know, we give everything we have to these animals and and we have, you know, like hyper empathy for them and their cause. And, um, but we don't, we don't do that for one another or for ourselves and we're expected to essentially punish ourselves in this work, flagellate ourselves, whip yeah. ourselves in, until, until there's nothing left, until we've either had a psychotic breakdown, you know, gotten a divorce, had our you know whatever, but we don't, you know, in most lines of work, whether it be taking care of kids or other lines of work that I'm involved in, you know, there isn't this sense of, um, you know, cannibalism, like mm-hmm. eating one another and there isn't this sense of, um of, uh, of targeting one another. Um, but we have that to a pandemic degree in, in rescue. And I, I wish, um, I wish we were, I wish we could shift that paradigm. And, and I think we're, we're making really strong inroads to it, but we need to take care of ourselves and we need to attract the best possible people out there to help solve these problems. And, and we're, and right now we're, we're pushing away a lot of really good people because they don't want to be involved in the, um, you know, the, the drama.
0: Exactly. Yeah, no, it's uh, interesting. You know, our our organization is still relatively new. I founded it back in uh, July of last year. And uh, just getting in and a big part of what I wanted to do was network with uh, our local resources. So whether it's the shelters, the rescue organizations, the foster based rescues, and get everybody working with one another. And we've been successful to some degree. But at the same time, it's tough when, you know, people have been doing it for 30 years, they're a little set in their ways. And, Mm -hmm. um, but it's nice to see those, those small shifts, um, in working together and getting away from that drama that you were talking about.
1: Yeah. We all fall victim to it. You know, we're, you know, we, um, I, I, I know I'm drawn towards chaos and before you realize it, you know, you'll find yourself involved in something that is just fundamentally unhelpful and unhealthy. And it's having the awareness to kind of to, to, to take a step back or to evaluate your own behavior. And I think, you know, I, I think, I think everybody in rescue should go through a 12 step program, whether they're <laughs> an alcoholic or an addict or, you know, not because there's just a lot of self-evaluation really needs to take place in order for this to, to move forward. And I, I, um, yeah you know, it would be, I would like to see more of that.
0: Yeah, and ultimately what it comes down to is we're all just trying to accomplish the same goal, saving more dogs to educate the public as far as, um, you know, overbreeding, overcrowding, um, you know, um, uh, puppy mill, you know, whatever it may be. And, uh, you know, if everybody can realize that it, it would make the world a happier place, but of yeah. course that's just theory.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, as a united front, everybody's doing such a great job. We're all doing such a good job out there, spreading the word and, and working on what we're doing. And a lot of us work together and, and it's, it's, we've made enormous progress in the last, I mean, in the, in the seventies and eighties, you know, I think now the number are around a million animals that are euthanized annually in America. It was something like in the in the sixty or seventy or eighty million a year regularly, mm-hmm. you know that was just the normal number. And every shelter was up in the eighties and nineties, depending on where you were, percentage wise. I mean, it was just terrible. Yeah. And so tons of progress has been made, and and we ought we ought to revel in that, and we ought to pat one another on the back, and we ought to, um, you know, there's the there, we have this um, this need to be pugnacious in our in our passion, you know this. Uh, which is totally unnecessary. We can be passionate and loving at the same time. We don't need to, 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 I don't know. It, it, I think it has to do with this kind of inherent tribalism built into our culture where it's just gotta yeah. be us versus them. And uh, it just, it, it isn't, that isn't, it isn't as simple as that. Uh, although I sometimes wish it were, there's, <laughs> there's so much in you. There's so much more going on than just a black and white scenario. You have to be able to empathize with why people do things, um, you know, so that you can understand, you know, and instead of just, um, labeling them or, or crucifying them.
0: Exactly. And it's nice to see that that shift is occurring. Um, you know, we're, we're definitely headed in the right direction. I had yeah, a definitely. conversation with a veterinarian, uh, about a week ago, and they were basically saying that it used to be that people going on vacation would bring their pets in to put them down because it was easier to put them down and, cheap to get a new pet when they got back than to boredom which is amazing and then now you get people who you know there's a pigeon that's hurt on the side of the road they'll pick them up bring them to the vet and try and you know nurse them back to life yeah, so. yeah
1: exactly <laughs> any of us have any and all of us probably have some sort of a chipmunk or a hummingbird story or a you know god knows what we've saved over the years that i've had come through my house or you know and that that's the big shift in consciousness that's happened is people you know people are in love with their animals they they don't just you know have them for whatever they they are in love with them, and they see how they see they see them for the medicine that they are, you know and 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 the example that they are they the, my animals are, are psychiatrists, and my animals yeah. are are um are physical instruct you know they're they're uh, they motivate me in 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 all kinds of ways that is to be a better person that is to complain less. Maybe they're not doing a good enough job Uh, (laughs) and they motivate me to get off my butt. They motivate me to um, get through, you know, difficult physical or or emotional challenges. You know, they they are um, they're just
0: amazing. They really are Um, now. So one of the programs that we have um, is what we call the unadoptables. And it's very much a take the power back uh, type name where we feature different dogs from different local organizations that need that little extra help uh, getting adopted out. So whether they've been there for a long time, they have some sort of medical issue, they're a breed that tends to be overlooked. And, uh, it looks like you guys have something similar. Um, if you wouldn't mind discussing sort of the education that goes behind changing the perception of, uh, what you guys call the undesirables.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, of people have a cookie cutter idea of what, what it is to have a, to bring a dog, what kind of dog they want to bring into their family. You know, right. we have this, especially now we are dealing with a real shift towards the the glamour pet you know i don't know that we ever have shifted away from it but it's the golden doodles and it's the french bulldogs and the.
0: every couple it, years it changes breeds yeah
1: yeah and they're just uh, it's a real challenge everybody wants that kind of a dog and it's got to be a puppy or it's got to be young and and some of that i get you know people don't want to go through the heartache of of an experience of losing somebody but um you know we're really just trying to to share our experience with senior dogs our experience with with handicapped dogs, our experience with pit bulls and and black dogs, you know, the most I'm sure, you know, the, the least adoptable dog technically is a senior black pit bull. Right. You know, and um, so, you know, really trying to. To uh, communicate for people the the upside, you know, the upside to a senior dog, why they're so wonderful, why why they, you know, what kind of, um, group they might fit better, what kind of, uh, really just giving them a platform to speak for themselves, the, the dogs, that is showing everybody how wonderful and how lovely they are and, and really making people think outside the box in terms of what, what they thought they wanted to adopt. Cause that's all they need is, I mean, some of my, my favorite the history of i don't know how many animals i've had you know hundreds how many i fostered probably you know hundreds and hundreds right. <laughs> and some of my favorite favorite dogs are the the broken and the and the senior and the you know who's got a you know a wonky knee with a you know missing some teeth and and yeah. uh so it's really just communicating that to people that this kind of uh variation this kind of uh diversity is is, is really wonderful
0: yeah it adds character and you know there's one of the things that we really try to push is you know having people find a dog that's based best on their family life their situation their home as opposed to that's a cute dog i want that breed and then it doesn't end up working out and ultimately that's why they end up in shelters you know they weren't right for that family or that person's situation but they may be right for somebody else. And so we have
1: more Huskies here, man, than you would ever fathom. It's, it's mind boggling how many Huskies we have locked up at shelters here. Yeah. It's the game of Thrones. Yeah. They are incredibly, exactly. they're incredibly attractive as puppies. We don't have very strict breeding regulations. And and then it's, and they're almost all just about 11 months old, you know, when they get to the shelter, it's like they've (laughs) just survived puppyhood. And then bam, you know, they're at the shelter. Um, And also the one thing I want to touch on is it's really fun to be of service to something that, that, you know, might need you a little bit more. It's nice to have an animal that needs you, you know, that might need some medication from you. Like we have a tongueless dog named Hooch who, he needs to be fed (laughs) by hand. And, and I have a two-legged dog named Cora who needs to be put in her chair when she goes out. That's about all she needs from us. She's by far the happiest. I mean, Cora is the happiest dog I have ever come in contact with. And we had to take off her front two legs. And and when we were in the process of doing that, you know, and the dog before her, um, Noelle, who had the same surgery to remove both of her front legs, you know, the uproar that we got, it was about 75, 25, about 75% of people understood it. They might've Mm -hmm. been cautious, but about 25%, many of whom were in the veterinary community and specifically the veterinary community we worked with. Um, just could not fathom it, could not understand you are going to do what you're going to take off the front legs of a dog. Like, you, you know, you selfish prick, you know, you are doing this for like, you know, for likes on social media. You're doing this for your own glory. How dare you? You're we're unfollowing you. And, and, and our last two legged dog, our shepherd, Franklin, you know, we had a hospital that refused to do the surgery. They just wouldn't do it. And this is the most, you know, this is the most prominent Veterinary hospital on the West coast, you know, they just insisted we're not doing that. And, you know, and, and, um, it's, it's now happened and he's happier than he's ever been, you know, and, and they show you how they can survive and how they can persevere is like, it's just remarkable. I mean, it is just remarkable. I can't picture Cora having two legs anymore. Right. And I can't picture, I can't, I, she is just, I don't know how happy she would be if she had four legs. Cause she's the happiest thing I've ever seen with two.
0: <laughs> well that's the thing about dogs they never let it get them down and no. you know it just goes to show that you know now that dog is living its best life whereas traditionally people would just say let's put him out of his misery and but yeah. that doesn't necessarily need to be the case and you know he's definitely a testament to that
1: we don't say it about humans you know no and if a human has to lose all of their limbs we don't you know there's never a, <laughs> we maybe we should, sir would you may, may, to talk to mother and father about euthanizing their kid because they because he's got to you know have his legs amputated that wouldn't happen in a million years and this shouldn't be any different you that's know that's exactly I, I, don't, it. I don't believe it necessarily unless someone has a much you know a different way of thinking i just don't get why especially if you've made a commitment you know you've made a commitment to an animal and and um and, and the on the Stepping back and looking at it, what she's been able to do in terms of inspiring people has been remarkable it's just it's been unbelievable. If she was just the dog who had her legs amputated and showed us how to do that well that and and was able to succeed in life, that's one thing. but to do it to have this um this platform to do it on and to inspire people through has been really remarkable. I mean, so many people are just uh enthralled with this dog you know they just can't get enough of her and everywhere we go. She's just an instant smile. I mean, she spreads joy, you know, more efficiently and and more. And her amplitude is just unbelievable. Everywhere I take that dog, she is just people just lose their minds. You know, it's that, like it's like walking around with Mickey Mouse.
0: No kidding, I mean, it's amazing. I've seen some videos on her, and she just looks like the happiest little dog in the world. Mm-hmm.
1: No antidepressants either. She exactly no, um, no Zoloft for her. She's just a dog <laughs> being a dog.
0: Yeah, and if she was a human, then, you know, she might be on a regimen of, uh, you know, pills that just zone her out. But, you know, luckily she doesn't have to deal with that. Nothing. So now uh, one of the things that I was uh, reading about is a uh, concept called benevolent mechanism. Can you explain a little bit about what that is? I'm not sure. Where, where did you read it? Ah, boy! It was a uh, interview, and of course, now I'm having trouble pulling it up. Here we go. <laughs> um, I just did me off the cuff, throwing some words together. It could have been. It was one of those words that just—I mean, it.
1: Oh well, I mean, if I—I I, I, I might be able to understand the context. I mean, for for me, dogs are a, are a benevolent mechanism towards achieving all kinds of things. Right? They are a completely altruistic entity. There's nothing there's nothing bad about a dog in, in fact they're, they're almost always a 1000% love they are they are very much so these incredibly loving 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 sentient beings and and they are mechanisms for change in us and they're mechanisms for um for they can be our medicine they like i said earlier they can be our psychiatrist they can be our physical trainer they can be our 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 loved one they can be our you know our cuddle buddy they can be our um they can be so much to us they are benevolent mechanisms to achieve all kinds of things. You know, if we just utilize them for that, and I almost use the word exploit, (laughs) exploit (laughs) them for that, but utilize them, you know, we, they, they, dogs have taught me almost, you know, so much of what I've learned in life. I mean, the, the best example I have is Marley who is my, the namesake of the organization. And, you know, when I first got sober, I was terrified about everything. You know, I didn't, I didn't know the first thing about how to survive out here in the real world um, as a confident person, I mean, I was so insecure and so scared and so, um, in my head about everything. And here in Marley, I saw this dog that was a Rottweiler pit bull who wasn't scared of anything, but he wasn't pugnacious either. He didn't try and, uh, he never had any physical you know issues with other dogs. He always broke up fights instead of starting them. He walked, you know, what's the, what's the saying that, um, you know, women wanted to be with him men wanted to be, be like him. That's what right. it was like, <laughs> man. But he, what he did for me is I was really able to, um, I used as a, him as a benevolent mechanism for confidence. He gave me my self-esteem. You know, not a lot of things can help give you self-esteem. You really need self-esteem through action. And he helped me get into action. He helped me start to walk. He helped me go into schools. I was terrified of stores, you know, when I, especially when I first got sober. I had a tough time driving sober. There was a lot of things that were new for me. Mm. And having that dog with me, just gave me the tools to do so and really as a personality type he had exactly what i was looking for he was calm he was assertive he was joyful he had he was just this incredibly balanced creature and he was that example i needed to 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 emulate you know and um and there's no nothing that says your your role model has to be a human
0: right uh-huh. yeah it, and looking through it looks like the context was related to uh you know a, a dog's interaction with prisoners, addicts, mentally challenged, which uh basically sort of brings me to my next question of uh you know what are some of the unique ways uh that you guys have brought awareness to Marley's mutts and fundraising yeah. I, fundraising um, I know you mentioned uh prisoner rehabilitation, yeah. um, which is it, it's an amazing program from the ones that uh I've seen take that yeah. on
1: yeah well what our prison pro- we started we've been trying to do prison programs for for probably close to a decade <laughs> it's one of the things i wanted to do when i immediately got for, for, as soon as i got involved in this uh we've been doing them for three years we've operated programs at california city correctional facility north current state prison wasco state prison corcoran state prison and now we started our first the first of its kind of ever in America, girls juvenile program, and these are programs where dogs go and live inside of, you know, high security um, penitentiaries and juvenile facilities. So these dogs are there for three months. It's a fourteen week long program: two two weeks of of kind of preparing them for the dogs, and then three months mm-hmm. of dogs coming from the shelter or from foster to live in prison. We go in with a staff that varies depending on the facility. We have a bunch of different trainers that come work with us. Sam and Leah and Lisa and Rob, just a whole bunch of really amazing trainers, um, and we apply ourselves. We apply ourselves wholly and completely. You know, um, the the trainers train. You know, it's about four hours that we're there once a week, and they give all uh, they give completely of themselves, and and it encourages the inmates to do the same. And we're talking about substance abuse. We're talking about. You know, I, I maintain a variety of different types of connections with them, whether it be, you know, riding on the outside or, or when I see them in person. But, um, the point is to, is to do much more than just teach them about dog training to just help them get their dogs through canine good citizen certification. The point is to help them re identify themselves. And, and in talking about a benevolent mechanism, these dogs help them completely reinvent themselves. And a lot of that has to do with emotional availability and emotional awareness and and being whenever you're in a prison, Your emotional walls are so thick and so high um, in order to protect yourself that you don't really get a lot done. There's not there's no doesn't it doesn't create a healthy environment for change or for rehabilitation. Guys just get worse. Their walls go up higher. They're more reactive. They're more angry. They're more upset. They're more dejected. They don't have any purpose. And living without purpose is a really dangerous place to be because you've got nothing to lose. Uh, when you have nothing to lose, you're much more willing to make a bonehead mistake. Right. Uh, and and what these dogs have done, you know, is on the, the ob- couple obvious things are integrate the prison. The prisons are um, are uh, racially segregated and very strictly racially segregated. So our program, you know, works on on integrating big time because we have thirty guys of all different races from different gangs within the prison, all working together to help save these dogs' lives. And we let them know that that's what they're there for. You guys are no longer inmates. Um, we understand we're in a maximum security prison. We understand you're dressed in jumpsuits. But for the purposes of this program, you guys are dog trainers and dog rescuers. And you are our friends and our and our fellows. And that's how we're going to address you moving forward. Um, we're going to shake your hand. We're going to hug you if you want to be hugged. We're going to tell you that we love you. We're going to listen to you. We're going to post pictures of you working with your animals and videos so that you, your family can be proud of you. We're going to help you work on those connections. We're going to help you learn how to love yourself so that you can love other people around you so that you can love these dogs so that we're going to help you see what you're capable of in terms of getting out of your comfort zone and becoming a dog trainer. Um, we're going to help you. We're going to help you show yourself that you you do know how to how to do this, that you can do this, that you can do anything. And um, and that's what happens is these just radical transformations Um, a lot of our guys will never leave prison you know they're they're in there they don't necessarily do this for uh, the job that might be for there for them on the outside they do it to, to try to feel worthy to be able to give back and and to be able to um to be there and 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 be be something positive for this world um and then our guys that have gotten out so many of them have become trainers you know there's only like 10 or so guys that have gotten out. And most of them, you know, most of them are now involved in the pet services industry and are professional dog trainers.
0: That's you awesome. I, yeah. And these, that.
1: Yeah.
0: I was going to say that, you know, we were talking about something that gives you the will to live, uh, you know, beyond addiction for these guys, you know, dogs giving them the will to live beyond prison. It, it, it's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, and they are, they are opened wide up. What happens when those emotional walls come down is they start to really look at everything. They start to look at their substance abuse patterns. They start to look at their capacity for love. They start Things activate within them that were dormant for a long, long time. And the dogs facilitate that.
0: That's awesome. Uh, do you guys have any other similar social programs out there that uh, maybe not prison-focused, uh, but uh, something that helps... Uh, other people who are struggling in life
1: well yeah that's what our, our miracle months program is As i talked about earlier our therapy program like one of the the big um, parts of the therapy program is um, is going to the mission at kern county and doing a 12-step program there so it's a homeless center that my mom um, went through and it has a, a, a program uh, a substance abuse program that is a year-long discipleship program and so we have a 12-step program there that we're people that are in recovery and and that are at the, that are staying at the facility can work basically the 12 steps of training and recovery together. Um, those same Miracle mutt groups, you know, go everywhere. I've spoken, I've taken them, the, I've taken dogs to too many rehabs to count and sober living facilities and, and given my testimony and, um, so, yeah, we really try to just get out there and, and share as much as we can with the world it, it It becomes more difficult as for me to do it as as my responsibilities kind of shift within the organization. Um, but it's always the thing that's brought me the most joy and the most passion is sharing what what the the miracle that occurred in my life and letting people know what's possible
0: that's awesome uh now speaking of sharing uh one of the other programs you guys have is the mut militia can you explain a little bit about that
1: yeah well mut militia isn't so much a program as it is how we identify ourselves um it's funny cuz i some people don't like the term militia cuz it 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 connotes like um you know like a <laughs> rebel a rebel faction or something and and really you know back then i was when social media was first kicking off i was just trying to do anything that helped people feel like they could identify under the same flag so the way we identify ourselves you know people that follow marley's mutts is the Mutt militia and we we try to if, if you give people a title then they can kind of go out into the world and 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 fight and and join this struggle and that struggle is to you know, on, on, and the way they, they can engage in that fight is by posting on their social media and by talking to their friends and by wearing, you know, gear that, you know, shirts that are provocative that talk about, you know, issues that are that are important to us. So it's really trying to give a name to the people that support our organization so that they feel part of this 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 whole deal, you know, this whole thing.
0: And that's the thing, you know, bringing the public in, uh, you know, your fans are loyal fans. And so it's nice to be able to give them something to represent their love for your organization. And, you know, regardless how divisive the idea of the name Militia is, um, it's a great tool basically just to, to show people that you're a part of something bigger.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, um, and it, and it's done just that for us. You know, this conversation reminds me, we should probably, you know, focus on it some more.
0: Oh, that's fun. Yeah. We're working on a program right now that we're getting ready to roll out. That's, uh, very similar, you know, trying to get, uh, you know, our most loyal fans, uh, representing us and representing animal welfare, uh, in a way that uh, they're proud to do. And so, uh, it's, uh, maybe just uh, happenstance that uh, we're talking about this uh, at the time that we're getting ready to roll that out.
1: Cool, man. That's awesome.
0: So now one of the more unusual things is uh, you were recently featured in a uh, jockey uh, underwear commercial. What was the impetus to uh, being featured by jockey?
1: Um, Well, they just reached out, you know, Uh, they reached out on my Instagram, to be honest. And, um, I, you know, I I had no connection to, I mean, I grew up with my dad wearing jockeys, you know, but I hadn't, (laughs) I hadn't, I hadn't heard, you know, it wasn't part of my life until they reached out and, and I became part of the jockey family. And it's really, um, it's opened my eyes to a a bunch of, of cool things. Well, one, it really, it got me out of my comfort zone in a way that like nothing else has, you know, that was so hard for me to do. And a lot of people think, uh, a lot of people have misunderstandings about me or, or, or preconceived notions about what kind of person I might be like. And I'm a, I'm an introvert. I, I'm actually a, a person that talks when I'm nervous and I seem extroverted, but I am, I am, uh, <laughs> I'm often terrified. And, and, in, right. <laughs> and in, in, in this particular situation, you know, having to, to uh, get down to your underwear for two days and at a sound stage with 50 people around you is, was, was really intimidating. Um, but it was, it helped me get back to to being proud of myself and loving myself. And um, and the thing that was cool about it is they wanted to to showcase. That I found my purpose, and it's this unconventional purpose of I'm a dog rescuer. You know, I'm an addict and alcoholic in recovery who's a dog rescuer, and that's that's my purpose. And it's led me, and my purpose has led me to my profession, which has led me to to now having a family and a daughter and a beautiful wife and friends and a and a and a mortgage and a and a house that I can afford and all these all these things because I found because I followed my purpose, and um, so that's what Jockey really wanted to showcase is that they liked that I had overcome something then and they liked that, that overcoming that led me to my purpose. Um, so kind of making, you know, lemonade out of lemons, man. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and they've just been the best, the whole jockey family. You know, you, when you start to work with, with a brand or an organization like that, they'll, they'll throw, you know, I, I've heard people talk about, oh, throw around the words like family and, and the rest of it. And it really 1000% has felt, felt like family. I mean, I get checked in on and, and handwritten letters and, and just all kinds of gratitude and 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 what can we do for you and and how can we help what you guys are working on and they've really supported our organization big time and and um it's been wonderful to have them kind of give us the platform to reach so many more people to be able to have one of our two-legged dogs and our one of our pit bulls you know in that ad and to be able to talk about overcoming addiction and have it reach that many people is is really powerful and it helps give people hope and and that's what you know, you can never have enough hope
0: yeah. I mean, it's a really powerful campaign and it's not like, uh, you know, the old isotoner gloves where, you know, they get, uh, some big name to just pitch a, a brand or a product. Um, you know, the two minute video really is more about your journey, more about what you do. And, uh, mm-hmm. very way in the background is the whole idea of jockey and jockey as a brand. And, yeah, exactly. uh, I think that had a bigger impact than, you know, an overt sales pitch.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I I mean, it did big time and and it really resonated with people. Um, And uh, and at the same time, I found like the world's greatest underwear. You know, (laughs) I think part of it was I I didn't I I never considered jockey underwear because this is what my dad wore. Right. Right. I just picture like white jockeys that my dad rocked. But it's uh, (laughs) they have the best stuff out there. Every time they send me a a box of good goodies, I'm like, holy cow. Even my wife, she's like, this stuff is amazing. You know, and we just didn't see that coming. So on a totally different level, it's been nice to have been in, enlightened into uh, into the, the underwear that I will wear for the rest of my life.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny, you know, as a guy, it's something you really don't think about. You know, I go out and when I need to replace it, I replace it with Precisely. whatever's on sale that looks decent. Exactly. But, uh, you know, when you really take a look at it, uh, you know, it's nice to, to find some quality in there.
1: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And, and, um, we'll be working together on, on more stuff in the future. And, and that's just, I think it was a certain level of validation and and affirmation, you know, that, that, um, a company like Jockey, which is a family run company would want to work with, you know, a drunk who had a dream to save dogs, you know, and, and, and that really made me feel like I was doing something right.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, obviously talking about, you know, being a guy, you know, since getting into this industry, uh, this community, you know, I found that it's uh, very largely female dominated, Um yeah. you know, just a very small percentage of men that are in it. Uh, what's been your experience of uh, being a man in a largely female dominated industry?
1: Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Um, cause you know, because the first conference I went to was I think eight years ago and you know there was even fewer men then and i mean there might have been two percent guys Mm. and and very few people of color you know very few um i was at a conference this last week in austin which had um definitely more but still very very few men you know probably in a five to ten percent men um and the rest the rest women, and still, you know, few fewer people of color. So, uh, it's something I, I'd really like to see change is getting more men in this line of work. I mean, let's think. You got to think about it. Dude, that some of this has to do with your Myers Briggs classification and just right. who, your, what your emotional makeup is. And I am an I am an intuitive emotional feeler. You know, and being an intuitive, emotional feeler led me. It didn't lead me to this work because this work didn't exist. This work was just born out of my illness. I I didn't have any sort of plan where I said, I'm going to become a dog rescuer. That just wasn't wasn't how it happened. But a lot of people are drawn to this work because they're empathetic, conscientious, you know, um, feeling individuals. And so you're just going to get naturally you're going to get more women who are like that, who are cared, you know, who want to help care for something, who, who want to, you know, it that personality type is more typically found in women. Um, but it has been, um, for the most part, it's been great. You know, people have been, it it might even be one of the reasons that we were able to succeed, you know, to the degree that we did is because I was a guy, you know, I don't know, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, there's been discrimination for sure. You know, there, I think, you know, you always, anytime you're, you're not the normal, you're not the norm for what exists in a particular genre, um, you're going to get some flack. So I think people have been, um, Every once in a while there's you know a little more heat than I would like or maybe less <laughs> leniency than I would like and and um a lot I, what I have noticed is just some some skepticism right off the bat is almost like what does this guy want from me you know like, right what is do you he have an ulterior for? motive
0: other than yeah. Yeah, purely exactly. rescue yeah yeah,
1: exactly, so I've experienced that quite a bit, but for the most part it's been it's been you know it hasn't even been something that I've thought about, yeah, you know?
0: yeah, it's just a unusual observation I made, uh, last conference I went to. And, uh, you know, it's definitely one of those things. Everybody I've interacted with are, are fantastic, but, uh, you know, it'd be nice to see a, a little variation in the world of, uh, animal welfare.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. This, this, the, uh, the, I went to the same conference the next year and, and, uh, I guess people had started to follow me and, and but the assumption was after the first time they met me that I was gay, uh, because that's, that you know you're (laughs) and you're in rescue you must be gay and um well flattered i you know i wasn't and uh and and a few more you know we've had there there's some more guys getting getting involved and i think are are making uh making a big difference and maybe encouraging other men to get involved and we just i mean look we got such a big issue that we're dealing with and this is going to be something that's with us for years. So we want to bring in the best and the brightest from all, you know, ethnicities and genders and, and really have, you know, cause we have to balance things out, you know, nowadays. And I think the big shift that's happened in animal welfare is a, is a shift towards the practical and the logical and the, and the quantitative and, and, you know, we're really using data more than ever. We're evaluating, We're getting away from the emotional aspect of things so that we can solve the problem long-term and, um, and so we, you know, we want the, the, the best available to get in and do that. And, and that means diversity. So,
0: and that's the thing, you know, ultimately it doesn't matter what you look like, you know, uh, what gender you are, as long as you're best qualified for it and you have that passion, why not? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, moving forward, what's, what's in the future for Marley's mutts? What are you guys uh, looking to on the horizon?
1: We got a bunch of fun stuff planned for the ranch. I got a couple of things in my back pocket that we can't divulge just until you know has to get run through the proper channels, but for right now, we're really focusing on positive change and building this ranch out, making this ranch into a you know a community center where people can come and visit and be a part of and and work towards um you know enriching their own life and the life of the dogs lives of the dogs we rescue um, we want to continue to expand you know our therapy programs and our educational programs and um, you know, we'll always continue to work overseas and, and try to help le- lend a helping hand where we can. There, we have some sister shelters that we work with in different countries. And um, but for the most part, I really want to sink our teeth into the ranch here and and um, and and expand our positive change program. With with criminal justice reform becoming a hot button topic, now's the time for us to really uh, get as involved as we can in bringing dog programs to as many juvenile and adult prisons as possible. And I want to be the guy to, to help do that
0: that's awesome uh speaking of the ranch uh anybody who wants to see what the ranch looks like uh can head over to the marley's mutts website uh you guys have a great five minute video on there that talks about uh, some of the stuff you're doing and gives a great overview of what the ranch looks like and what the setup is
1: yeah yeah we just did that i'm, I'm uh if it's almost surreal that we have this. It's been a dream of mine for so long that it's almost um it's almost surreal that that we've actually achieved it.
0: That's awesome. Uh a site from the website, where else can people reach out to you, find you on social media if you wanna go ahead and throw that out so people can yeah. start yeah, following? The
1: website is Marley's dot org and then um you know, same thing, Marley's Mutts on Instagram and, and Facebook and MM Dog Rescue on Twitter, we don't use Twitter very much. Um I'm personally just Zach scow Z A C H S K O W on both platforms and yeah, we'll we'll see you on there.
0: That's awesome. Well, Zach, I appreciate your time today. Uh again, you know, everything that you guys have done, you know, your your past is is just really inspirational and uh, I know our listeners will uh just find it motivating and uh hopefully uh you know, lead them over to what you guys are doing and hopefully they can help you guys out as well.
1: Yeah. I appreciate the opportunity, man. We we've also spread into Los Angeles, you know, just to, we've started, you know, fostering and doing some things down there to hopefully, uh, get our, our therapy and our positive change programs active down there. So we have Joey and Sarah who are, and we have some really great fosters, uh, down in the LA area. So yeah, we're, we're growing and looking to, uh, to team up with as many organizations as we can to try and, and do this the right way and, and save as many lives as possible and impact as many people as possible.
0: That's awesome. Thanks again for your time, uh, Zach. And, uh, you know, we look forward to uh, continuing the conversation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You got it, man.
0: This podcast is brought to you by three Paws Thursday. Three Paws Thursday is our very own email newsletter hitting your inbox every Thursday. This newsletter is a quick read featuring three tidbits encompassing new Rough Riders news, behind the scenes, upcoming events, community engagement, and even fun dog-related quotes. Sign up for the Three Paws Thursday newsletter at roughriders.org and stay on top of the latest happenings in the world of Rough Riders. Now on this week's Unadoptable segment, we're featuring Piglet. Piglet is available for adoption from Dublin's Dream Dog Rescue. So I had a chance to meet Piglet earlier, and he is absolutely adorable. He is a one-year-old, pure white, pocket pitty mix. So he's not the huge pits that you're used to, uh, much smaller in size, probably a little bit closer to the 40 pounds. Uh, Now, Piglet's background, uh, though sad... He's in a much better spot now. He was originally adopted by an older woman who was deaf and had six other dogs in the house. Uh, she was afraid that he wouldn't survive from a larger pit who was constantly attacking Piglet, and as a result, she reached out to Dublin's dream to rescue him. Uh, once they got him in, they realized he needed vet care due to an infection on his leg inflicted from that other dog. Out of that terrible situation, Piglet's been able to show his true colors now. He's a high-energy, extremely playful dog who loves every human and dog he comes in contact with. He's still very much a puppy doing puppy things. He's shoe insoles, uh, dog beds, um, pretty much anything that uh, he can find that uh, would make a good chew toy. The good news is he's house trained and he's actively working on being the perfect dog for the right home. In terms of an adopter, uh, we're searching for someone that has a large yard, an active lifestyle, and uh, another dog that can really keep up with Piglet's energy. Uh, He really does have unbound energy that he just needs to get out. And so finding an adopter who can match that uh, would really be ideal. It's unclear how he does with children, but based on the adults that he interacts with, uh, it looks like he'd probably do just fine, perhaps with slightly older kids. The good news is Dublin's Dream does home visits, so they would obviously make sure that uh, he's the right fit for the home. Uh, He's fully vaccinated, he's neutered, and he's ready. He's ready to be adopted. For more information on Piglet, pictures and video, Visit our website, roughwriters.org forward slash unadoptables. You'll find Piglet there and uh, go ahead and click in there. And uh, if you're interested, there's a button at the bottom of this page uh, where you can reach out and we'll get you in touch with Dublin's Dream. Well, that does it for this week's episode. We appreciate you sticking around. Please check us out online at roughwriters.org or on Facebook and Instagram at saves Until next week, I'm Christian Meyer with Rough Riders, Saving Dogs on Death Row. Rescue on.